The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to transform your life. Welcome to Direct Connect Empowerment with your host, Fee Mazanki. Our program will explore the concepts and ideas behind Direct Connect Coaching by introducing guests who are using or are aligned with this program and have used the ideas to transform their lives. It is our sincere hope that you can use this inspiration to do the same. Now, here is Fee Mazanki. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for joining our growing audience of empowered listeners. The Boomerang Movement is a weekly feature of this show, and we use the idea of the boomerang as a great visual about life. And it simply means that what you put out there is what you get back in life, and life indeed does work this way. In fact, yesterday, my example for the week is that yesterday I had a client share with me that she was picking up personalized M&Ms and they had all these really great messages. I can't remember all the messages on these personalized M&Ms, but she was going to share those with her top 150 clients to, as she so beautifully described, shower them with love and gratitude for being such wonderful clients. And I thought that was such a great idea to share with all of you as a boomerang concept that she was doing on a business level with her clients. So, What boomerang are you throwing out this week? Make sure that your thoughts, your words, and your actions are aligned with your boomerang of success. And today's show is a real treat for me because normally... I interview guests that I have, I start with, with a business relationship and, uh, and then we take it from there. But today it's a little bit different. Uh, the show is entitled Triple D's Success Principle. And you, you may ask why Triple D, right? Well, my guest is Dan Del Deegan, aka Triple D. And we met, uh, through sports, through our daughters playing volleyball together. And it was an intriguing, uh, concept for me to have Dan, uh, be on the show because I just watched how Dan interacted with people and I was truly amazed by that. And so when I asked Dan if he would be interested in doing an interview on the show, he, uh, graciously agreed. So I really appreciate it. So welcome to, the show Triple D. Thank you, Fee. I'm glad to be here. It's a delight, and I'm excited to join you and your listeners. Well, thanks so much. And I want to give you a very formal introduction so that the listeners understand what it is about your success principles, because what I know in in doing the research about you and in watching you engage with people is that this is not just something that you do in work, but uh, your success principles really do carry over into your entire life. And so I want to give your formal bio and let the listeners know that Dan or Triple D, as we 
affectionately call him, is the president of Insighten Software, which is the leader in enabling digital marketers to own and activate marketing data for real-time personalization at large scale. While leading the sales, marketing, and customer success organizations, Dan is driving Insighten's aggressive growth to serve the rapidly expanding market for real return on investment through marketing data activation. For over 11 years, Dan built and led Salesforce sales teams in the central U.S. and nationwide. And after joining Salesforce.com in 2002, and check out these numbers. This is really so fascinating for me. When they had fewer than 150 employees and less than $50 million in annual revenue, Dan helped fuel Salesforce.com's growth to over 12,000 employees over $4 billion in annual revenue, and 150,000-plus customers. As a member of the founding management team of Synchrony, sold in 2001 to Divine, Dan was the executive vice president of Worldwide Sales and Services. Dan's sales career has also included successful leadership roles at Cybill Systems, Sybase, and Oracle, all during their initial public offering and expansion phases. After earning his bachelor's degree in general engineering, computer science from the University of Illinois, go Illini, right? Dan Dan earned a master's degree in management from Northwestern University's Kellogg Graduate School of Management, go Wildcats. Dan is also active as a venture partner at R7 Partners, an early-stage venture capital firm focused on helping fund, inspire, and enable ambitious innovation. At the CalStat Graduate School of Business at DePaul University, Dan is a frequent guest lecturer. He also serves on the Board of Advisors of SalesHood, a sales leadership mentoring community, and as an executive mentor at the Junto Institute in 1871, the Startup Accelerator and the Chicagoland Entrepreneurial Center. His civic roles, and yes, he does have time for that as well, include the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Chancellor's Alumni Committee on Corporate Partnerships, the Institute for Career Advancement Needs, and the CARA Program Fighting Homelessness and Poverty in Chicago. Dan and his wonderful wife and their five children, yes, he's got five kids and does all this, and that's what we're going to talk about too, finding out how you balance it all, Dan. They live in St. Charles. So with that, I welcome you formally to the show, Dan, and say thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. And Fee, to hear you describe that bio, um, it sounds a lot more impressive than it is. So (laughs) I appreciate that, and it's a delight to be here. Well, Dan, I'm really curious because uh, we have spoken about our very humble beginnings. Uh, Can you please share with our listeners a brief synopsis of where you came from and how you got to be where you are today? Yes, well, we do have a lot in common, you're right, Fee, and for the benefit of the listeners that... uh what Fee and I have had a chance to learn about each other as we become dear friends and our daughters are, are friends and teammates is that we both come from the south suburbs of Chicago and both uh, the youngest of large families. In fact, I think we're both the babies out of families of six. Coming seven from that is area. mine. Indeed. Yeah, mine's seven. So oh, I, seven. Got, I beat you by there one, you Dan. <laughs> and, um, and what 
I took away from that experience, and not just from being a Southsider, as you and I like to joke about the traditional, you know, nasal Chicago accent, even more accentuated for those of us from the South Side, is that being in a big family, and especially being the youngest, you you learn that what's I think more important in our upbringing is more so than than potentially having means, right? In terms of materialism, it's uh, the love that you find in a big family and also even the dysfunction. In fact, we used to joke in my family that we put the fun in dysfunction, which is probably, uh, you know, based on that era and our shared experiences growing up, uh, a uh, characteristic of a big family. And when you don't have a lot of means, I think what it prompts in each of us, especially when you're the youngest, is resourcefulness. And you learn to be comfortable with chaos, comfortable in big crowds. You tend to be bold because if you're not bold in a big family, especially when you're the baby, then you're generally not going to be heard, whether it's your opinions or your needs, <laughs> you know, like food, shelter, and clothing, um, or just your own self-actualization. And you learn to create your own opportunities, I think, both whether it's athletics, whether it's um, in business, whether it's in your educational uh, journey that you take, you learn to be more self-reliant and uh, I think self-deterministic, especially when you're among the youngest in the family. I, I've learned both through that experience and as a parent that birth order has a, a huge impact on uh, personalities of our children. Definitely it does, yeah. And we we know that the youngest really do carry uh, carry the weight in the in the family, of course. And no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you and and. The one thing that I always joke about, and I say that I have six six teachers before me, and and I became great at observing behavior, and great at saying, "Gee, that looks like it's something that I would love to engage in," or "That looks like something that there's no way I'm going to engage in that because right. uh, you know you might get your mouth washed out with soap if you do that," <laughs> you know, and that's True. another South Side thing, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is uh, that is a common denominator that we both share. That's right. Yeah, Dan, if you had to describe uh, the key to your success in just one word, what do you suppose that would be, and why? Well, I, I thought about this um, from what you just said, and that is, if, if I were to give it a word, I'd probably say you know either perspective or maybe empathy as a perspective. And the reason I say that is you just triggered something when you mentioned, see, that being the youngest in the family, you have a chance to sit back and observe. And if we are, you know, when I've been in any kind of setting, whether it's a social setting with friends or new acquaintances or whether it's a business meeting, what has usually impressed me the most among the people I meet are the people who often say the least but take in the most. In other words, they ask really good questions, and they're naturally inquisitive. And what, they, what that leads to, when it comes from a sincere place, it's usually empathy. People who genuinely and sincerely want to know about other people, about their journeys, about their experiences, what they've learned, and then what we can learn from those friends, from those business associates, from those new acquaintances. That generally, in my experience, is one of the most empowering things we can bring to relationships is the desire, the the real sincere uh, desire that comes from a natural, genuine place to learn about other people and what they've been through. And when you do that, in my experience, 
it's it's probably the most endearing thing that you can achieve in a relationship or to foster or grow a relationship or even establish one is to be genuinely and, and naturally inquisitive and then to have empathy with that which you've learned about people. And if, if you, you just if you gravitate to that naturally or if you can learn it, which I think you can, uh, I find that to be empowering. Yeah, it certainly is, Dan. And, you know, it's interesting because people at least what I know in my business and certainly in doing the radio show, people, I I love to ask questions and I love to really understand how people think and what's, what's in their hearts and what's in their minds. And, um, you know, and they love, they really enjoy talking about their experiences. And so if you do, I, I, I totally agree with you. If you do engage in that and ask people questions um, it, it genuinely, like you're saying, it is, it's a great skill and talent to have, and it does foster relationships in a wonderful way. I believe so. And it's, um, you and I have talked about this. It's one of the lessons I learned from one of my early mentors in my career is that there's a reason that God gave us two ears and only one mouth, is that we're generally supposed to do at least twice as much listening as we do speaking. And when you approach uh, conversation or any kind of interaction or any social setting that way, I think you get more out of it. It's, it's, I think at its core, it's actually selfishly motivated. It's not just altruistic. It's because I genuinely am interested in learning from other people, learning about them and from them. And, and actually, the book that would define that for me, it's actually crystallized it in a way that I hadn't been thinking previously of how to articulate it. It kind of made mm-hmm. sense to me, but I hadn't really formed it into a thesis that made sense until I read the book, the classic work that I think is timeless in its utility and appeal, which is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's, the lessons are just as valuable and useful today. I've actually had each of my kids read it when they you know, get into their high school years because I think it's, it's just a very powerful foundation for developing and fostering relationships that enrich you the rest of your life. And I, I can attest to that, Dan, because your your children are such loving, uh, uh, caring human beings, and you can tell that that is nurtured in your family lifestyle. And I'm sure, you know, it'd be fun to just sit down. For me, it would be fun to just sit down and watch the family dynamics and a family conversation at dinner. You know, I think there's a lot that can be developed and learn from what comes up at a dinner conversation and how you handle that. And that would be fun because you've got five kids. I only have two. So (laughs) I know what comes up for us. And sometimes we have to divert the football uh, conversation to some other things to kind of expand the, even though football is really exciting for me, and I'm very happy to say that the Bears season, their championship season kicks off tonight. So. <laughs> That's the power of positive thinking. There you go. It is. It is. Well, you know, I interviewed Mark Trussman, so I, uh, we put that intention out there uh, many months ago. <laughs> there you go. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, you're genuine, generous human being. Um, tell our listeners your ideas about generosity and giving back. About generosity, well, I, I would key on something you mentioned in the lead into this, Fee, and I didn't, I didn't hear your, your previous interview. I'd like to go back and listen to that. The one you mentioned, The Boomerang, I'd actually like to, to catch that show because um, what, it, what appealed to me about what you just said, The Boomerang, I hadn't thought of it in this way, but there is a boomerang effect to any act of generosity or philanthropy, and I think at its core, 
what I learned, I don't know, really know when, and I'm not sure there was some real cataclysmic moment in my life that, that the light bulb went on. I think it was just a, a series of experiences over time that taught me that when you're generous, and whether it's with a small, seemingly meaningless task in a given day, an act of generosity or kindness to a stranger, <clears throat> or whether it's profound, like some sort of financial contribution to a cause, ultimately philanthropy is selfish, and that's okay. And I've come to terms with that, that the reasons that I would do what I do, whether some small gesture, which to me is just as meaningful as any kind of monetary contribution to a cause, it's to make myself feel good. It makes me feel better about my place in the universe. And it's okay for that to be the central motivation. I think when you get in touch with that, you realize it's okay that what we do generally, I suppose, you know, anything that we do, even some of our bad habits, are really about the, the, the feeling that they give us, whether it's immediate gratification or whether it's a long-term feeling of purpose or belonging or connection with the community or in society. And for me, that's what uh, philanthropy, for lack of a better word, achieves, is making you feel whether it's something you do directly on your own, or whether you get your family involved in, I think the latter is even more powerful, because then you make it viral. And if you can teach, if there's a lesson we can teach our kids that I think is one of the most enduring, besides all the obvious ones, about being ambitious and valuing education and, and all the lessons we want to teach our kids, one of the most important ones is to teach them the power of generosity and how enriching it is and the boomerang effect, as you've described it, that it can have. Yeah, definitely. Well, we are going to pick back up here. We've got to take a quick break. You're listening to Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee and my guest, Triple D. We'll be right back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanki at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Mazanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. Welcome back, everyone. And my guest today is Dan Deldegan. 
And before the break, we were talking about generosity, and uh, Dan was mentioning how that uh, applies in his family, and he uses it uh, as a teaching tool for his children. And um, because you come from a big family, Dan, and because you have five children of your own, I want to talk a little bit about how you relate to building an organization, which you've had many different types of experiences over the years in building different organizations, and uh, how do you relate that to raising a family? Well, that's a great question because there's so many parallels, and we could probably go on for hours even jointly uh, craft a book on the topic, but a few of the foundational principles that come to mind for me pretty regularly and in both parts of our lives, whether it's running a business and leading and growing a team as well as raising five children, or any number of kids for that matter. One that comes to mind is the idea that while we try to lead uh, the members of our organization, whether they be employees or our, our kids and our extended family, and do so with kind of a command and control mentality where you, find, you see a problem, you diagnose, you identify a root cause, you prescribe a solution, and then you direct resources to go solve it. It doesn't quite always work that way, does it? You know, the, the traditional military command and control approach to problem solving or progressing. Because what I've found is that while I'd like to think that my employees and even my children value my experience and my <laughs> wisdom, at least I, as I see it, uh, a, a really good example for those of us who have teenage kids, right, of what it's like to be a business leader or particularly to be a member of a board of another organization is that when you prescribe your best advice and it goes unfollowed, right, that's, that's the experience of being the parent of a teenager. And one of the reasons is if you can kind of distance yourself from what might be the original, the initial feeling of disappointment or frustration with that, what you realize and what I've come to learn is that people learn from their own mistakes, they're not going to learn generally from the mistakes others have made, even if there's a collective pool of wisdom in a body of work or a particular field that you can learn from. There's some foundational principles that you learn when you, when you learn the fundamentals. But generally when we learn the most and when we learn the most valuable lessons, it's through our own mistakes. So what I try to do in my business and with our family is give people, whether my kids or employees, an opportunity to fail on their own and learn from that, where the failures are microscopic, not catastrophic. Small failures, small trial and error from which you can learn, iterate, improve, and move on. And you just hope that the mistakes your kids make are the ones that are small and that they can learn from. And that's part of the anxiety, of course, of being a parent as well. And the stakes are certainly much higher in parenting than they are in running a business. But what I found is when I try to micromanage, you know, a favorite phrase in business journals, right, that that doesn't necessarily facilitate growth, whether it's for my kids or the members of my organization, because they need the opportunity to, first of all, if they buy into your vision and the mission, that's, that's what I think I can be very prescriptive with, is setting the tone and the value system for the organization or the values for the family. That everybody's got to buy into, and that's what I think we need to teach. Beyond that, I try to give them some latitude to make their own mistakes and not micromanage them, because when you go execute and you succeed and occasionally fail, that's where you'll learn the most. It's kind of like being a coach of an athletic team. It's generally the case that after a loss, you have your team's attention much more so than after a victory. And you can do some of your best teaching and coaching after a loss, like the first practice that follows a loss, compared to 
a practice that follows, let's say, a big win, especially if it's by a big margin. So those are some of the things that come to mind for me. Those are some wonderful examples and uh, parallels that you share. And do you have any specific examples of things that you have seen, Dan, in both parenting and growing an organization where people have made a mistake, you've come in to coach or counsel, and the growth, you've seen that the growth from the mistake. Do you have any specific ones in mind? Yeah, I do. And here's one that, um, and actually it has to do with listening. And I'll, I'll use an example. It, 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 fall, it follows more so from one of my own failures, more so than that of one of my kids or a member of my organization. And it's, hopefully you'll find it amusing as I do now in retrospect. But at the time, this was long ago when my now oldest son, who's 21, came to me on his birthday. And I think he was five, maybe six at the time. And so I wasn't ready for the conversation that I thought he was launching. He comes into my home office, sits down and says, Hey, Dad, what is sex? Uh, oh, no, I'm not ready for this. You know, six years old, it's his birthday, and I, I really wasn't you know, ready to you know, give him you know, even an evasive answer, let alone, of course, a direct answer. He wasn't old enough for that yet. But I figured right. this is a moment of truth opportunity for me as a parent. So even though I try to preach listening, like really understand the meaning behind the question and really get behind what is somebody really asking as opposed to jumping right away into a solution before you've really done the primary job of a parent or a leader, which is to simply listen and allow people to be heard. So what do I do? Of course, I launch right into an explanation without really qualifying the question. And I give him this evasive, but I I had hoped at the time, meaningful answer that involved God and love and angels and and, and it was appropriately uh, vague and ambiguous, <laughs> yeah. but I thought, you know, kind of satisfied to check the box for him to feel like, okay, at least I didn't blow him off. And I thought it was textbook. In fact, I remember thinking, oh, I wish somebody had recorded that. That was just beautiful. If some six-year-old asks you what is sex, here's how you answer. And I'm feeling very satisfied with my arms folded, looking at him like, you know, I expected a standing ovation. And he looked really confused. I said, Kyle, well, what's the matter? And he goes... Well, that, that, that's great, Dad, but uh, all I know is I got this wallet for my birthday from Grandma, and it's got an identification card inside, and I'm filling out my name, and it has this thing, sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, just check M, Kyle. Just check yeah. M. You're fine. <laughs> so what I, you know, I learned, of course, I should have learned by then, and this lesson revisits me every once in a while, is our, yeah, the first thing to do is figure out what's really being asked, what problem is really being expressed, what curiosity is really being exposed here before you launch into what you think is the answer. Yeah, exactly. What do you really mean by that, Kyle, right? Right. Oh, yeah. It's it's always very fun to, you know, see where you can where you can qualify the question or where empowered listening can uh give people can step up in the empowered listening arena so to speak or active right. listening yeah that's right yeah i had a funny i'm going to just take a quick minute just because i i had a funny story i my the kids and i were volunteering when they were very young we were volunteering at a store in geneva the town next to ours and we wanted to help out this woman and, and so we were doing our our duty of volunteering and they were passing out samples of chocolate soap and so my kids they were so cute and little at the time they were you know, going up to all of the customers and they were dressed up and they were passing out this chocolate soap. And so the one woman uh, 
picked up a piece of the sample of chocolate soap and she took a bite of it. And she's like, excuse me, she with her mouth kind of, you know, pursed together. She said, excuse me, where's the bathroom? And I went, uh, I went up to Jake, my son, and said, Jake, what happened? That woman, uh, that woman took a bite of the soap. And he said, I told her, Mom, it was chocolate soap, but all she heard was chocolate, you know? <laughs> and so she didn't know that it was chocolate soap, and she took a bite of it. And so I always uh, like to refer to that story and say, it's really important to be an active listener and, uh, to, you know, and to really sit back and listen to what people are trying to tell you. So oh, it was that's just a great a- illustration, yep. Yes, it was really funny. So getting back to um, your success principles, Dan, who do you suppose in your life, if you had to pick one person, who's made the greatest impact on your life and why? Well, probably, especially in my formative years as, as a kid, it would be my brother, my older brother, Bob, um, my late brother, Bob. We lost Bob in, back in... 1984 in a car accident, and I was 21 years old at the time. He was 16 years my senior. So our family was Bob and then four girls and me. We were the bookends, two boys, four girls. And he was really a father figure for me growing up. And especially when you, in a family situation like ours, we had two divorces over the years, uh, you know, when I was very young and then when I was an adolescent. So as a consequence, my brother really became my most primary father figure. And, um, and not just in, in our loss, uh, when Bob passed away, but in his life, most importantly, he provided for me an example of a lot of the things that you and I are talking about right now, principles of parenting, leadership, and in particular, it was visible to me through Bob's vocation, because he was a fifth grade teacher, and then later a principal, in fact, out here in the Tri-Cities area, in, in St. Charles, Geneva, and Batavia. He became the principal at Wild Rose School, not far from where I live now. And in Bob's experience in, in education, what he meant to the people in his life, the students and the parents of those students, made an impression upon me that I, I'd like to think and I hope it stuck with me my whole life and hopefully manifested itself in the way that I tried to build and lead an organization or our family. And that is, he was such a strong mentor and such a great listener and really cared about the whole student, not just the classroom performance of the student, but that student's family life, what they care about, what their interests are, um, athletics, extracurricular activities. And he was the best listener I ever knew. And he really just drank up and, and consumed stories from people. He was genuinely interested in hearing somebody's life story and their journey. And he really subscribed to this theory, not just from having read a book, but because it was innate to him that the most exciting thing that you can do in a given day is meet somebody new and hear their journey. He thought there were, there were no uninteresting people to him. Everybody he'd meet, you know, from a stranger on the street, you know, regardless of somebody's station, uh, station in life, their, you know, their, their net worth, their their level of authority or power politically or in business or in the community, no matter what, Bob thought there was something interesting about everybody he met. And he, he made that contagious. So he became an inspiration to me. And if you think about what, for each of us, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, what in many cases shapes our behavior, or at least our value system, is what you observe in other people that you either respect and admire or that you don't. 
and hopefully you gravitate towards the behaviors of those that you respect and admire and try to avoid those that are the opposite. And that's what Bob was for me, even up until, or even since losing Bob, you know, the lessons are no less profound for me. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way or a example and demonstration for someone to model such a positive and powerful behavior that now, as I mentioned earlier, Dan, I, I've witnessed you take a genuine interest in people, and we joke about this because it, it, it's it's really true. When we were in Florida at the National Volleyball competition with our daughters uh, both playing there, um, you know, I joked with you and said, hey, uh, when are you going to know all of the names of the thousands of people in the building here? <laughs> because, yeah. because I watched and witnessed, this is part of my observing human behavior and really drinking it in to be curious about what is going on and, and to understand that. And now it makes a lot of sense that you had a, a model of that behavior in your brother and that was such a positive and powerful impact for you that then you can now do that and apply it not only in your own family but with your family in the organization as well. And uh, And I'm sure that at least I like to think that in some way, even though Bob is not physically here with you, that inspiration is always going to be a part of you and that he continues to inspire you and be with you yet today. Oh, thank you. And yeah. part of what does that is hearing people, and this happens almost every month, I'll be around the Tri-Cities area and someone who will meet and will hear my last name or who knows me will approach me and say, hey, we've never met, but your brother Bob was my fifth grade teacher. You know, he was old, older enough than me that now the chronological fit here is I meet a lot of people who are raising families who uh, were in Bob's class and who, you know, you're, think about how many teachers you had in, the, in early grammar school years that made that kind of impression on you. And I regularly hear people, I've, I've had strangers come up and hug me when they hear my last name. It says, I want you to know how much your brother meant to me. And that's, that's what keeps it as active a part of our lives as it is, I think. Yeah, and it's it's certainly something that, um, you know, I'm sure that you continue to grow, develop, and nurture that behavior within yourself because you you get feedback, you get confirmation from all these people in the town in which you live, where they're they're giving you, they're kind of encouraging you or or pushing you forward to say, keep doing this because it makes a difference. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it is inspiring. It, it's really, really inspiring. So, well, you know, it, it's a wonderful um, experience. I'm so, so sorry for your loss, of course, but so grateful that you had that older brother that you you just admired so much and had such wonderful qualities that that you're able to you know take and and develop and nurture and share with so many other people as well. Well, thank you. I think that's yeah. one of the ways in which I'm blessed. Yeah, definitely. Well, we are going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Mazanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. Hey, we're back. Thanks for listening. And I am with my special guest today, Dan Daldegan. And Dan, I want to talk to you a little bit about your early struggles and what you gained from those struggles because you've got such an optimistic view on, on life and mistakes and learning from mistakes. So let's talk about some of the things that you've learned uh, and how you've applied those in your own life today. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Fee. You know, we uh, talked earlier about the shared experiences you and I had growing up on the South Side and in big families and as the youngest of big families. I mentioned also that divorce was a an element in my upbringing, which sadly it is for so many kids these days. And in that experience, I found my refuge in sports, in youth sports. And I was not an all-star athlete, but I was passionate. And I, I loved competition. I loved sports. And more so... Even though I wasn't aware of it at the time, what I really loved most was the camaraderie with teammates and the relationships that being part of a team in any sport uh, allow you to develop. And for me, it was basketball and baseball. And what I found myself pouring myself so deeply into that and basing my perception of my own self-worth and self-esteem on the basis of my success or what was more frequently the case, failure, on the athletic fields, when you set a high standard and you want to achieve, it's, it's inevitable that everybody who plays in an athletic event or pursues an athletic conviction, which, as you well know, in your family, you're an athlete, your husband played at a very high level in track and field in college, your children are athletes, both of them, and at some point, that journey comes to an end, whether you're Michael Jordan or whether you're a casual weekend athlete. And for all of us, we have to come to terms at some point in our lives with the fact that our athletic achievements will in some way have fallen short of our earliest dreams. Every kid, when they're growing up, thinks they're going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame or be an NBA All-Star. For me, it was the latter. And what I had to come to terms with at some point in my life, and for me it was in high school, was the fact that it was going to play out differently. And what I had to derive from my sports experience, unless I was willing to write it off 
as a failure simply because I wasn't going to go play in the NBA someday. I had to look at it and say, well, what did I pull out of that experience? And in ways that I wasn't conscious of at the time, it was those relationships and the notion of having had to struggle to want something, to work at it, and to achieve some subset of your dream and, and come to terms with that and learn the value of hard work and the fact that unless you apply yourself and try to struggle, it's any muscle, whether it's physical or whether it's just your psyche, doesn't develop unless it, it, it experiences pain first. You have to break it down before you build it up. You have to be uncomfortable before you can actually grow, whether it's physically or emotionally. And that's what sports taught me. And I had to come to terms with that, which I suppose all of us do at some point in our lives. But it's one of the reasons that we so profoundly value youth sports in our household, not because we expect our kids or want them or need them to go off and earn athletic scholarships and be superstars. We simply want them to learn the value of what it means to be a teammate, to be a valued member of a team, to experience leadership, and to experience the camaraderie and relationships that you develop in an athletic setting. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And what a what a great application of some of the key elements of again growing you know, growing an organization and working together as teammates and, and getting along with people and sometimes you don't like someone but you're on the same team so you got to find a way to get along you know that's right and in fact and and just like in business sometimes more often than not in fact you're not going to be the star of the team you have to be a role player and in business we're all role players even a ceo is a role player it just happens to be his or her role so coming to terms with what your role is in the organization and what your function is is a part of the overall mission is I think something we can really build foundationally through experience in sports. And so how do you identify the roles of the people on your organization in, in your business? Well, I first try, first of all, I use a lot of sports metaphors and analogies, as you can imagine. The, co- the notion of team, as an example, is constant in my vocabulary. The idea of teamwork and the roles that we play in valuing team members. And I use phrases like leadership, not management. I think leadership is fundamentally what drives and inspires organizations and performances, not management. Management, to me, is is managing. It's directing. Leadership is what inspires and is what gets organizations to achieve more than they thought they could. Leadership, to me, inspiring leadership, at least, is what makes one plus one equal three. And when you look at an organization, any team member, I want every member of our team, regardless of the role they play, from our front office receptionist to our executive assistant to our CEO to our head of engineering to our original founder, I want all of them to know they play a vital role and to feel as proud of their contribution and know that their contributions are valued as much as any other team member. I think one of the, the, the most profound failings of a leadership, a leadership team or a leader, would be to make members of the team feel less valuable or valued than others. And I think it's one of our jobs as leaders is to make sure everybody knows their role and to foster a culture of mutual respect. And that's what I try to achieve. And how would you say, Dan, that you communicate that respect and that value to teammates. I think those are some important uh, takeaways for the listeners today. Well, one is a great question because I think one way is, is comes back to some of our early discussions in this call about 
uh, being sincerely interested in people. So I know as much about the personal life as our as my executive assistant and our front office receptionist at our headquarters as I do about our founding CEO because I'm genuinely interested. So making everybody feel valued and making them feel part of the team and that, you know, helping them understand they play a role that is important, that in the absence of the value they deliver, that things would fall down, really important things, is part of what helps people feel sincerely valued. Because and generally, we all have pretty active BS radars, right? The human, human beings, again, by the time they get to adolescence, kind of sense BS when they hear it. So if you're, if you're not sincere in trying to pull that off, it'll come through. So I think one of the most important things is to just invest yourself in really caring and being a, a curious uh, inquisitor about people's lives and about their personal lives and what they value, what their hopes and dreams and fears and aspirations are. And the more you know about those people, the richer I think it makes you, your relationship, and their contribution to the organization. Yeah, that's really good points there. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Dan, you've got five terrific children, a wonderful wife. How do you maintain the balance in your life between your work, your civic responsibilities, your very rigorous athletic schedule, uh, coaching the kids, and attending all of these athletic events? How do you do that without pulling your hair out, basically? <laughs> Well, I think, first of all, there are times when you just need to accept that you will be pulling your hair out, right? So the frustration that is inherent to having to make trade-off decisions in your life, whether it's you know, between business and family or in the travel requirements that come with running an organization, all of us have stresses in our lives that represent the various demands on our time pulling us apart. And you can sometimes even feel it physically. So I think one key is just recognize there will be times when you do feel like it's not possible and it's unmanageable. And when people ask us, gee, how do you do it? We, my wife and I, Lori Jane, joke, sometimes we don't even know how we do it. We just do. And it's kind of the normal that we've adopted. So I'll start by saying it, it wouldn't be possible without Lori Jane. She is both the pillar, the rock, the foundational uh, setter of the vision, the owner of the vision and the mission in our family. And I like to think of myself as her dutiful employee. And it wouldn't be feasible without the conviction, the passion, and frankly, just the skills and the expertise that she brings to this. She's a very skilled, very bright uh, administrator and organizer. And I've often told my sons, we have four sons and one daughter, told my sons the, the best thing they can do, the most important decision they can make in their lives is what I did, marry somebody smarter than you. <laughs> Good advice. Big advantage, big head start on achieving happiness in your life and order. So it starts with that. And then the other thing I think is what what I've learned as we make these decisions, trading off, gee, there's this really important family event I'd like to be at. I try to look at it through this lens. It, it, it guides me most of the time, and it's not foolproof. But I try to ask, you know, 10 to 20 years from now, which one of these two things that I have to choose between will I be most uh, regretful to have missed? And very rarely, if ever, is the answer going to be the business meeting. And as urgent as it may feel, and there's some things I understand are rock and hard place you just can't miss. I mean, I've got board meetings. I've got... You know, important things in the calendar that we set that I try to set with a sensitivity to what the kids' calendars are so that that comes first. And some of them are, you know, rock and a hard place. But for the most part, like the vast majority of them can go on without me. And what I think we tend to do, and I was certainly guilty of it for part of my career, is assuming my omnipotence. 
the, the business certainly couldn't survive unless I was in the room. That this meeting, sales meeting, a customer meeting, uh, whatever it may be, an interview of a, of a candidate, can't possibly come off to my satisfaction unless I am driving it. And what I found, quite frankly, is it's not true. The, the world goes on just fine without me, the world of business. And again, if I apply the litmus test, what will I most regret having missed 10 to 20 years from now? It's, the answer usually is my daughter's volleyball game, my son's golf tournament, my other son's basketball or volleyball event or graduation or confirmation. I mean, those are things I'm just not going to miss. And the business will survive just fine without me. And when people see you as a leader making those trade-off decisions and valuing family first, I think it helps the culture and helps everybody realize, well, as long as he's consistent in applying that litmus test to how I, an employee, can manage my time and my family work balance, then I think that's enriching for the culture. Certainly is, and um, it also enables uh, leaders in within the organization to step up and take a more active role. That's right. In your absence, and so it's a wise decision, I think, from you know, from a leadership perspective, to say, "Yeah, this is what I'm going to do," and therefore, you know, some other person within the organization will. Um, you know, we'll step in for that in that role, and it, that's where growth happens. That's right. You have to trust them, and they're going to step on their toes sometimes. But you have to let them do that and give them enough rope um, that they feel like the the leash isn't too short on them. I couldn't agree with you more. Right, and there's there's the mis- learn from your mistakes opportunity once again. So we c- circle, you know, full back right or right back around and say, here's what's happening now. That's right. Um, before we wrap up today, Dan, I just wanted to ask you if there's any tools or habits that you do regularly that you would say attribute to your success that you can share with our listeners. Well, I think in terms of tools or just a natural rhythm to my week and trying to keep both the balance that we talked about between the family and business ventures uh, properly balanced as well as just try to feel like we're achieving success and making progress, a couple things come to mind. One is communication, and that there's no substitute for planning. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes was from back in the days of Winston Churchill in, in England. There was a, uh, a, uh, a great industrialist. It was kind of like that, that, you know, the British version of Andrew Carnegie. And one of his famous quotes was, the best thing about not planning is that failure comes as a complete surprise and is not preceded by a period of worry and anxiety. <laughs> so it's a good, a it's good way to look planning. at it, right? Yeah. Planning is really important. And the only way you can effectively plan, a lot of people talk about planning, but you can't plan effectively if it's an isolated activity. You know, I could plan really, really well, but if I don't get other people enlisted and subscribed in my plan and get them bought into it, that includes my wife, first and foremost, the rest of my family, uh, my partners in business, unless they're bought in, it doesn't matter. So communication is really important. And what I try to bring communication is, is frequency. Like it's got to be constant. It's got to be brief. But I think really effective communicators, both personal and business, understand and appreciate brevity. And then I think using humor is really important because the, the most, I, I think the best tonic for culture is to help people understand that while we take our mission very seriously, we do not take ourselves very seriously. So when you use humor, 
I think it helps take the edge off and the anxiety of what might be high-stress situations in any setting. Um, so humor, communication is really important. And then I think uh, humility. It, again, realizing that no matter what you think you've achieved and no matter how much you allow yourself to get wrapped up in accolades and honors and things like that, you got to realize your own fallibility. And humility, I think, is one of the most obvious label, the ingredients that we wear on our external labels, whether we're aware of it or not. Either humility or the lack thereof is one of the first things that I think people will, will sniff out when getting to know you. And when you're humble, and I think you realize your own limitations, you more readily embrace the power of delegation, of listening, of learning, and realizing that we are never done. Every human being on this planet is still a work in progress, and we're still learning. And once you feel like, if you allow yourself to fall into the trap of feeling like you've got it figured out, uh, that's when danger sets in, in my experience. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you 100%. Some really, really wonderful tips and inspiring thoughts and inspiring stories and anecdotes. And I really appreciate your time together or t- with us today, Dan. And um, I, you know, just really grateful that you agreed to uh, come on to the show today. And I want to also, as always, we send out a boomerang of appreciation and gratitude to the men and women who serve our country. We honor and respect your degree of commitment to our country and to the, the citizens of our country. And this week, be sure to focus on your dreams. Check in with your actions to see if they're leading you closer to or further from attaining those dreams. I wish you all a very inspired week. Thank you, Triple D, for your wonderful success principles today and uh, a very heartfelt thanks to all of our listeners. And we'll be back next week. Thank you again for joining us this week on Direct Connect Empowerment. Thea Mazanke will be back with another guest next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.